0: So, hey, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn over to Galatians chapter two. That's where we're going to be today as we continue our series out of Galatians called Just Jesus. We are doing a chapter by chapter, and I hope that you took some time this week to sit down with the book of Galatians and read it. Um, get familiar with the context and the flow of this letter that Paul wrote to these churches in Galatia. Um, if you haven't done that yet, don't worry. Jump in and, 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 and just start reading. I, I really believe that our time together will be enhanced by the more familiarity you have with Galatians. And all you got to do is open your Bible and read it sometime this week, and, and that would be great. Now picking up from last week where we left off, we learned that the apostle Paul got word that the Christians that were in these churches in the province of Galatia, so there's multiple churches that they were believing something different than what Paul had taught them. While Paul was away, we learned that some people, that's what Paul calls them, some people came into the churches there and they just kind of twisted everything up and they started to teach a different version of the gospel. and, And Paul says it was no gospel at all. You see, these some people, they came into the churches and they started to teach that Jesus Christ wasn't enough. That, that faith in Jesus is part of it, but if you really want to be righteous before God, if you want God to be proud of you, if you want to be saved, you have to do these other things as well. And these other things that they preached was, had to do with the Old Testament law. You've got to maintain what's going on under the law of Moses if you really want God to love you. So that means this. This was their message. You believe in Jesus Christ? and you also keep the Sabbath day holy. You believe in Jesus Christ, and you only eat the appropriate foods that a good Jewish person is allowed to eat. You you have faith in Jesus Christ, but you must also honor all the Old Testament festivals and go to the temple and make your sacrifices and all of those things. If you have faith in Christ, it's not enough. You also, and this was a big one that's gonna come up time and time again throughout the rest of this letter, you also have to be circumcised to be a Christian. Yes, they taught that if you think you're gonna have a right standing with God, you have to be circumcised. Circumcision goes back into the old covenant law. It was a physical mark that all Jewish men um, had that showed that they were part of God's family. Why did God choose that as the mark? I have no idea, but that was the mark. And so they, uh, these people came into the church and said, if you really are a Christian, if you really love Jesus, then all of you Gentile men need to have this mark. So it was like Jesus plus something else equals salvation. And what Paul got all up in arms about is like it's not Jesus plus this other stuff together. That's like you're trying to promote that as a super gospel. That's not a super gospel. In fact, it's no gospel at all. And so Paul is deeply concerned about what's going on in these churches. And I I have a question for you Does this still apply to us today? And maybe you went home last week and you're like, you know, this seems like an issue that the church was dealing with back in Paul's day. Is this something that we're dealing with today? And maybe you say, you know, the church was relatively a new thing still back then, and all the Christians were relatively new, so we can understand why there would be some confusion. But is this something that we need to pay much attention to today? You know, I'll tell you, you would think that by this time in history, with all these years, that the Bible and Christianity would be established enough that uh, we wouldn't have to be worrying about these kinds of twistings and perversions of the gospel. But let me just say this. This specific perversion that Paul is all up in arms about, it may not be the hot topic in the church today, but I can tell you this. Perverting the gospel has a long tradition in this world that continues to this day. And many major religious movements today were started out of a twisting up of God's word or a perverted gospel, if you will. Did you know that Mormonism, also known as the Latter-day Saints, is the fastest growing group in American history, faith group in American history? Yet their faith system, what they believe, even though parts of it sound similar to Christianity, is actually a perversion of God's word. It's what Paul today would call no gospel at all. That's tell you, you can't hardly read the news or, or turn on the TV without hearing something in the news about the faith of, of Islam, somewhere in the news. According to most reports, Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world right now. It too had its beginnings out of a perversion of God's word. So many movements today started just like that. It was something twisted up. It was perverted version of the gospel. So if you ask me, this still very much applies to us today. And we cannot, as followers of Christ, let our guards down for a second. And I will say this again, that our greatest defense over these kinds of things is knowing God's word. Knowing God's word will help you discern fact from fiction, truth from false, right from wrong. Knowing God's word. So Paul loved these Christians, even though he's writing kind of an angry letter, and he is not gonna stand by on the sidelines and let this happen in the churches. So he writes this letter. Now we're on to chapter two, and what's gonna happen in chapter two is this. Paul is gonna tell them two examples from his personal life where he encountered these kinds of perversions of the gospel. The very same things that that the uh, Galatian Christians are dealing with. In fact, the very first example that he's going to tell them is about a time that he encountered people who also believed that if you were going to be a good Christian, you had to be circumcised. So let's look at Galatians chapter 2. We're going to look at this first example about a time he went to Jerusalem and encountered the same kind of thinking. Says this in verse one. After fourteen years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race. In vain. So let's just stop reading right there, and let me just say a couple of things that will help us pull this story together. Paul is retelling about an incident that happened years earlier when he went to Jerusalem. There was an issue that was brewing in the church, and a decision had to be made about it. Now, you do not need to turn to the book of Acts, but I want to tell you a couple things about the book of Acts. The book of Acts, which is the fifth book in the New Testament, it is a record of the evangelism of the early Christians. So in Acts chapter 1, we read that Jesus ascended into heaven. In Acts chapter two, we read that the Holy Spirit came down and filled the disciples and they went out into the streets of Jerusalem and they began to preach and this is where they preached in many tongues and people from all over heard it in their own language and 3,000 people repented of their sins and were baptized and that was when the church started. Now the rest of the book of Acts is all about this early movement of Christians that was growing daily and this evangelism explosion around the known world. That is the book of Acts. If you have never read the book of Acts, can I encourage you to sit down and read the book of Acts? Because it will teach you so much about why we do what we do and what this is all about. So in the book of Acts, we learn about these early Christians. We know that Christ was first preached to Jewish people who were there in Jerusalem. Now, when a Jewish person became a Christian, they said, I will follow Christ. My faith is in Jesus Christ. They were freed from the chains of the old covenant law. So in other words, before Jesus you obeyed this law, you made your sacrifices, you did what you're supposed to do, you you didn't eat these foods, you did all of these things, because combined, if you were a good rule follower, that is what made you have a right standing before God. But now when Jesus died on the cross and fulfilled the law by the shedding of his own blood, becoming the once and for all sacrifice, we are now free from that bondage to walk in freedom with Jesus Christ. So, being made right doesn't have anything to do with the rules. Being made right has everything to do with what we believe about Jesus. So you have these Jewish people who came to faith and they are experiencing freedom in Christ, yet at the same time, we're having a hard time releasing some of the bondage from the way they were raised. So you had Christians who still ate only certain foods. You had Christians who still only associated with certain people. You had Christians who still believed in circumcision. You have Christians who still only, you know, this, uh, add whatever it is, all to Old Testament law. Now, it's understandable, right? If you were raised a certain way your whole life, and your whole life you had believed that if I'm gonna be right before God, I gotta keep these rules, that would be a hard thing to shake, wouldn't it? I mean, even experiencing freedom in Christ, and knowing all, but that would be a hard thing to shake. Well, that is what's going on in the first couple chapters of the book of Acts. But at this point, it's just Jewish people who are coming to Christ. Now, go to Acts chapter 10. You don't have to go there right now, but let me tell you. Fast forward to Acts chapter 10, we have this amazing thing happen. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, the early leader in the church, he's on the roof of his house one day, and he falls into a sleep. God gives him a dream or a vision. And, and in this vision, he's there on his roof, and there's this large white sheet that comes down out of heaven, and on it is this in huge buffet of food. That sounds like a wonderful dream. <laughs> this sounds like the cruise ship buffet of dreams. This is what That's All of this food... And God says to Peter, I want you to get up and I want you to eat all this food. Now here's the problem. It's all unclean food in the perspective of a Jewish person. And so Peter says to God in this vision, surely not, Lord, because nothing impure or unclean has ever, ever touched these lips. And God said to Peter, boy, I could preach a whole sermon on this one verse. He says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean now this is a direct message to Peter listen the rules have changed if you will it's not the same these things that used to be no-no's God's like I'm okay with it I've made this clean deeper than that God is telling Peter you don't call anybody else unclean now here's a massive transition that's going to happen in the book of Acts all of a sudden the gospel isn't just for Jews God is about to open up salvation to the rest of the world. Non Jewish people are who we would call Gentiles in the Bible. And so at the end of Acts chapter 10, Peter comes down off of the roof. There's a knock at the door. God told him to go with those people. He goes to the home of a man named Cornelius, a non Jewish person. And and, and Peter led him to Christ. In fact, his entire household believed and were baptized and were saved. And and so from that moment on, we know Cornelius was one of the very first non-Jewish people to become a Christian. And so after Acts chapter 10, we see thousands of Gentiles becoming Christians. Now, you might be able to see where I'm going with this. You've got thousands of Jews who are coming to Christ who feel some loyalty and some bondage still to the Old Testament law. And you've got thousands of Gentiles coming to know Christ who could care nothing about those kind of rules, nothing about circumcision, could care less about what they put in their mouth to eat. And so you have these two groups in Christ growing together. And can you see we've got a head-on collision for a problem? How in the world are these Christians gonna get along with these Christians and vice versa? How in the world are we all gonna go to church together and get along with such vast differences in our beliefs? Kind of sounds like today. And so in Acts chapter 15, all of this comes to a head. All the leaders of the church got together and they had to make some decisions about the unity of the church moving forward. Many scholars believe that when Paul is telling this story in Galatians chapter two, when he was in Jerusalem, he could be possibly referring to this Acts chapter 15 meeting where the leaders of the church had to coming together of minds and had to make some decisions about how we're all gonna get along in Christ. In unity. What can we all agree upon? So if you go back to Galatians chapter 2 verse 3, let's pick up this story that Paul was telling about when he was in Jerusalem. He says, when I was there, not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on our freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved in you. I love this. Paul's saying, we took a stand so that you could be free. We stood on truth so that you could be free from the bondage of the law. So what what Paul is basically saying, he's telling about this time when he went up to Jerusalem and all of this conversation about, do I have to be circumcised to be saved and obey the law? It was the hot topic in the church. And so Paul goes and he brings Titus who is not a Jewish person, and he basically says, look at Titus, and look how God is using him. Look at how the Holy Spirit is working through his life. And guess what? He's not a Jewish person. He's not circumcised. He doesn't eat this way. And look what God is doing through him. And Paul is also like, let me tell you what the Lord is doing in people's lives who are non-Jewish. And so he took his stand. And he said, this whole idea of obeying the law and following Jesus is nonsense. That was not Jesus's message. It's just Jesus. And so he took a stand. You know, just a little side note here, friends, that when we plant our feet in God's word, we don't have to apologize for nothing. And when what we believe is based solely on God's word, we will never have to be ashamed of what we believe. And I wonder, have you ever had to take a stand like that? Have you ever had to stare down a room of people and go, that's not right according to God's word? I love what John Wesley said one time, the founder of the Methodist church. He said, give me a hundred men who love nothing but God and hate nothing but sin, and I will shake the whole world for Christ. So Paul tells this story about taking a stand on the truth of what is right. And then in verse six, he's gonna tell about what happened because of that, the good things that happened. He said, as for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised. In other words, they acknowledged that I had a gift of taking the gospel to non-Jewish people. And then he says, just as Peter to the circumcised. In other words, so Peter has a gift with Jewish people. For God who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. So James, Cephas, Cephas is just another word for Peter. So James, Peter, and John, these esteemed as pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked is that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So at this meeting where they all came together, the leaders of the church recognized that the Holy Spirit was alive and well in non-Jewish people. And that it wasn't about the rules, it was about faith in Christ. And so they made a decision. It's not necessary for somebody to be circumcised to have a right standing with God. It's just Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. And they extended the right hand of fellowship to Paul and Barnabas, which basically was saying they are one of us. We are together in this. We are unified in our singular faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is not done with his trip down memory lane. If you look at verse 11, Paul's like, let me tell you about another time where this issue came up. And don't forget, he's trying to show these Galatians that the lifestyle of the law is not a saving lifestyle. Look at verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, again, some of your translations will say Peter. It's the same person. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, all that means is Jewish Christians who were still holding on to aspects of the law. Before those guys showed up, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in front of them all, You are a Jew yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Do you understand what Peter was doing? He was, when he was hanging out with the Gentiles, he was like one of them and and he behaved like one of them and he ate like them and and he went where they went. But then when these other Christians came who had some of these, this bondage still to the law, he pulled back from this group and behaved more like them. Have you ever had a friend like that? Have you ever had a friend that was super cool with you in these circles, but acted like they didn't know you in these circles? You ever a friend like that? I have. I have. This is what Peter is doing. He's like, I'm cool with you in this environment. I am not cool with you when these guys are around. And Paul is about to lose his mind over this. See, there's, there's three things that were happening here in these few short verses of this story. The first thing was there was obvious hypocrisy. There was obvious hypocrisy. And so, so Paul's calling him out. He said, Peter, you can't act this way on one day and act this way on another day. That's not right. Here's the other thing, too, that was happening. There was an obvious division that had taken place. Paul said even Barnabas was pulled into this kind of thinking. And the third thing that was happening is this. Paul chose to confront Peter. He was not gonna have one thing to do with this kind of behavior Well, I tell you, confrontation, it's hard, isn't it? I've never particularly found it enjoyable. Although I've known a lot of people who I think thrive on confrontation. I, I personally have never found much pleasure in it, and I've been on both ends of it. I've been the one receiving confrontation, and I needed it. And then I've also been on the other end where I've had to confront somebody else. And it's just a hard, hard thing. And so when you read about it in Scripture, You know, it takes us to a place where, man, could I be that bold? I mean, let's face it, it's a lot easier to just let something slide, isn't it, than to risk a relationship over it? It's a lot easier to look the other way, I think, than to get involved. That's the easy play. It's a lot easier to just um, walk on by than open yourself up to being accused of the horrible word being judgmental. However, this confrontation that we read about in Galatians chapter 2 is dealing with a time when the truth of God's word was compromised. It was when the truth got compromised, that's what lit Paul up. Look at verse 14 again. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, That was the line in the sand for Paul. It wasn't on things that didn't matter. It wasn't over things that were of opinion. It's when God's line, when God's word was being disobeyed as as a Christian. That's when Paul said, I have to speak up. Now, I wanna say a few things just more as a reflection. I don't really have an answer for you, but just to think about. Do you know right now a brother or sister in Christ who is openly living in sin? And do you love them enough to confront them of that sin in a way that still honors Christ? And I'm wondering, do you have the courage when obviously God's word is being crossed and is being disobeyed? I got another question for you right now. If you are living in sin and a brother or sister in Christ lovingly came to you, and put their arm around you and said, you know, this isn't the way God wants you to live. How would you respond to that? Would you accept it? Would you reject it? Confrontation's hard. I I personally believe that most Christians, and and I put myself in this too, I believe that most Christians, myself included, we don't have a problem with turning the other cheek. But we got a pretty big problem when it comes to looking the other way. When it comes to sin, I think a healthy Christian is one who can lovingly confront over God's word and not over opinionated things. So Paul saw that there was definitely a line crossed, and so there was disobedience, and there was others being led astray, and Paul is like, I am not going to have anything to do with that. We're going to stop this right now. Now, so he tells these two examples. Once of when he was in Jerusalem and the other time when he was in Antioch. Both of them had to do with this issue that the Galatians were dealing with. And the whole reason Paul tells them the stories or these two stories is because he wants them to also take a stand. You read Galatians like, I want you to stand up and stand firm in what you believe and reject this false gospel that is leading you into slavery. Now, let's look at verse 15 because now that Paul has told these two stories, he's going to come back and he's going to give them some words and some things that's going to help them stand up and he's going to give them a doctrinal foundation to stand upon. And this doctrinal foundation is what I'd like for you to really pay attention to here as well today. He's telling them, listen, this is why you have to reject that. This is why. So let's look at verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified By the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. In other words, the law won't save you. You're putting your hope in the wrong thing. Then he says in verse 17, but if I, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroy, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live but Christ lives in me. Friends, if there is one verse from chapter two that I would recommend you commit to memory, it's this one. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is Paul's line in the sand. This is him saying, listen, if you believe that obeying all these rules and getting circumcised has the power to make you have a right standing before God, it's just not accurate. It's only faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. That's where it's at. Now, there's a word that he used several times in these verses, and I want to make sure that we as a church have a good understanding of what this word means. The word he uses is justified. Did you catch it? justified by the law or are you justified by your faith in Jesus Christ? If you were to go back to the original Greek language and you get down to the root meaning of this word justified, it just means this, to be made right or to be made righteous. In other words, justified by your faith means that you are standing before God in a righteous state because of something. So Paul is saying, some of you think you can be made right by observing the laws. And he goes, that's not it. You are made right in God's eyes by your faith in Jesus Christ. That's all that word means. So you're not justified or made righteous by keeping rules. You're justified by your faith in Jesus Christ. So what does that mean, to be justified by my faith in Jesus Christ? I mean, really, let's get down to it. What does that mean? It means what it says it means. What do you believe about Jesus? So forget the rules, what do you believe about Jesus? To be justified or made righteous by my faith because faith is about what you believe. So what do you believe about Jesus? Friends, I'm gonna tell you something right now. It takes a lot of faith to believe that Jesus is God's son. It takes a lot of faith to believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. It takes a lot of faith to believe that Jesus performed miracles. It takes faith to believe that Jesus died on the cross. It takes faith to believe that Jesus, when he died on the cross, shed his blood for the forgiveness of all a man's sins. It takes faith to believe that Jesus was placed in a grave and three days later he rose to life. It takes faith to believe that Jesus ascended into heaven and is now at the right hand of God. It takes faith to believe that Jesus is coming back. It takes faith to believe that it's through his son, Jesus Christ, that we gain access to the Father. Faith is belief in Jesus. I am made righteous. I am, God looks at me as someone in a right standing by what I believe about his son Jesus Christ. Not about what I do about keeping all these rules, but about what I believe in faith about his son Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be, to say that I am justified by my faith in Jesus Christ. I am made right by what I believe about his only son. Faith. It takes faith to believe all of that. But I wonder how many of us have ever been guilty of adding to that. I wonder if we've ever been guilty of throwing in our opinions to our faith. And we wonder, does what happened in the book of Galatians, does that still apply to us? Let me tell you where I think it applies the most in some ways in our our context today. It's like when we add to that simple message of just Jesus, we add to it as well. We might say it like this, that salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ and when you worship exactly like we do. Don't sing the wrong songs. (laughs) Ever been guilty of that? Faith in Jesus Christ and when you only use the King James Version of the Bible. Hey, look, it feels good enough for Jesus. You got to think about that one, won't you? (laughs) Anybody ever told you you're not really Christian if you're reading anything about the King James? It's faith in Jesus Christ that you are really a righteous person only if you wear the certain kind of clothes. And as long as you don't drive a car, that's too nice. And as long as your house isn't that nice because no Christian would have something like that. Real Christians are those who put their faith in Christ and they never once listened to secular radio or would have anything to do with a non-Christian singer. Faith in Christ, no Christian would ever go to a rated R movie and no Christian would ever have premium channels on their direct TV. <laughs> Friends, if we're gonna get real, there are times when we allow our opinions to do the same thing as these people in Galatians. It's Jesus, and as long as you're like this now, you're saved. I just want you to know, it's just Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. When Christ lives in you that is what changes everything. When Christ lives in you, that is what changes everything.